0: This is Dark Matters. Evil is a tangible force. At some point in our lives, we are all confronted by it. Its effects can be seen in almost all facets of our lives, from the double locks on our doors to the myriad of news stories streamed into our homes. But, can evil also be wholly tangible? Can it be contained within a physical object? And, can such objects influence and taint our lives with their evil? That's what this series will examine. Welcome to Dark Matters, Cursed Objects. A few weeks ago, an ebay posting was brought to our attention by one of our patrons. The listing was for a cursed butcher's cleaver. We contacted the seller and he told us the story of how he had found it in the remains of an abandoned butcher shop. It had been left behind along with an old journal. When we heard his tale, we immediately purchased both the cleaver and the journal. After thoroughly researching both items, we were prepared to share their story with you. In the summer of 1945, Donald Strong returned from serving his country in Europe. He spent most of his time with the USO, performing with the Army Swing Band and entertaining the troops. During a stop in France, he volunteered to help in the rebuilding of a small village that had been destroyed by German bombs and subsequently burned down by ground forces. While working to salvage anything that could be of use, in one destroyed building, he happened upon an old butcher's cleaver. Donald's father was a butcher, and the young soldier thought it would make an interesting gift for his old man. Upon returning to camp that evening, he was informed that his father had passed away. The army was sending him home, as he had no siblings, and his remaining family needed him there. Grief-stricken, Donald packed his bags and unthinkingly took the cleaver home with him. Upon returning, he took over his father's duties and reopened the butcher's shop. He took the cleaver with him, having retired his father's, which now sat on a shelf above the counter. Donald had not worked much in the shop, but he seemed to take to it naturally. He wrote in his journal.
1: Surprisingly, things at work are going very well. I haven't done any butchering since before leaving for my tour. The cleaver does a remarkable job, chopping through almost anything I can put in front of it. It's almost like it's doing all the work, and I'm just along for the ride. It was very generous of Mr. Wilson to waive the back rent due on the building. I'm hopeful that the family will be back on its feet very soon. And for the next few
0: years, Donald rebuilt the business and reestablished himself in the community. He began playing in a Dixieland band at the local VFW on Saturday evenings. And he managed to get the house in good repair for his family, which now consisted of himself, his wife Dolores, his mother, and the most recent addition to the family, a dachshund he called Rascal. However, in the spring of 1950, his mother passed. This struck him very hard. Some say he was never the same. People who were close to him said he seemed overtaken by a kind of darkness, a gloom that never lifted. He began working late into the evenings and spending more and more time at the shop. His relationship with Dolores crumbled. She filed for divorce, citing his lack of attentions and inability to produce offspring. Donald did not bother to contest the divorce, and was left alone in the house with Rascal.
1: Thank goodness for Rascal! I'd hate to think if I had to leave here all alone. The only solace I have now is playing with the band and work. I often get lost in my butchering. Before I know it, hours will have passed. The only problem with work now is Mrs. Wilson. She seems dead set on chasing me off the property. Mr. Wilson is a fair man. He has given me no indication that he shares her feelings.
0: Mrs. Doris Wilson had her sights set on converting the butcher shop into a corner drugstore. She thought it would make the town a bit more sophisticated. She hated the thought of living in a small town, but Mr. Wilson had his roots there and had no intentions of leaving. She directed her frustrations toward Donald. This would prove to be a very poor decision. On the evening of December 3rd, 1952, Mrs. Wilson came into the shop complaining about her order of pork chops. She had brought them back that morning complaining that they were too thick. On her return, her complaint was that they were too thin. Donald's frustrations were mounting, and he wasn't in a very accommodating mood.
1: I'm writing this here in my journal. I can't tell anyone the truth. Mrs. Wilson came back into the store again. This time she was screaming about her order not being right again. She had been in twice before already. I was at my wit's end with her. I started to replace her order when she accused me of trying to short her on it. I became furious. I slammed my cleaver down on the counter. It cut into the counter so deep and with a low, loud thud, unnaturally so. I wouldn't have thought myself capable of driving it home so hard. I stared at it, embedded in the wood. I looked up and apologized to Mrs. Wilson. Her eyes were glazed and empty. And then I saw the blood coming down her forehead. Before I could react, she collapsed to the floor. I ran around the counter to find that Dad's cleaver had dislodged from its shelf when I slammed down mine and embedded itself in the top of her head. I started to run for help, but a voice in my head stopped me, said that no one will believe me. Everyone knows we are at odds. The police come in and see her dead on the floor with a cleaver in her head. I'm going to jail, and I'll never see the light of day again. I closed the blinds and locked the door. I then dragged her into the back of the shop and cleaned up the blood. I left her in the back and reopened the shop. I couldn't be seen to be away once they started investigating her disappearance. I was on the verge of panicking but the voice in my head kept me on an even keel until I could close the store for the day. Once I was alone, I was left to deal with Mrs. Wilson. I had to get rid of her. The voice in my head returned, reminding me that a butcher should have no issues with dealing with a carcass. But I had to rid myself of any part of her that could be used for identification. I'll spare you the grim details, but when I had finished my work, I'd line my knapsack with butcher paper and packed the head, hands, and feet, and left to dispose of them. I drove out of town. I knew a spot that would work. When I was a kid, my friends and I would play on the bridge on a shorter road. The lake will be frozen, and it won't give up any of its secrets until the spring. I cut a hole in the ice under the bridge, and dropped my knapsack through it, weighted down with a few stones for good measure. It's doubtful I'll ever see it or its contents again.
0: The next day, the town was buzzing with activity. The word had spread quickly about the disappearance of Mrs. Wilson. The sheriff was quick to talk to Donald, but as he had surmised, several people could verify that he had been hard at work all day, and a little extra blood and meat draws no suspicion in a butcher's shop.
1: I've put the cleaver into a drawer. I can't bear to see it, much less use it. It'll stay there until I have the courage to confront it and throw it away.
0: To his surprise, business stepped up. The suspicion he expected to fall on him didn't appear. For the next five years, he was able to live a somewhat normal, even successful, existence. Only his personal demons stood in his way.
1: It's odd. For years, I could only be comfortable when no one else was around. These days... It's when I feel the least at ease. I'm haunted by my actions. Or, more honestly, that I've benefited from them. It feels like I've made some evil pact. One horrible act in exchange for a decent life? I wonder when my next payment comes due.
0: Donald wouldn't have to wait long for his answer. On the evening of February 12th, 1958... Donald made his last entry into his journal, a post-facto retelling of that horrible next payment.
1: This is my final entry into this journal. It's after 1 a.m. I am exhausted and my night is just beginning. When I've finished writing, I shall go home and pack a few things and gather up Rascal. We're going to be leaving this town and head somewhere that we can get a fresh start. I'm leaving this behind to answer all the questions the town has about its two most notorious mysteries. <laughs> the funny part is, they haven't even discovered the second mystery yet. I was playing with the Dixieland quintet at the VFW tonight. It was a good show, and perhaps the last fun I'll ever know. While I was there, Mr. Wilson had come by to inspect a leak I'd reported to him a few days ago. He was apparently a bit of a snoop and I had left my journal out on the desk. When I came back to get my car, I noticed the lights on in the shop. I came in and found Mr. Wilson. He was furious and screaming at me unintelligibly. Before I knew what was happening, he had grabbed a knife and was on top of me. I grabbed around desperately for something I could defend myself with. I felt something solid and wooden. I swung at him and felt it connect. He fell backwards and the room went silent. I pulled myself off the floor and went to check on him. I found my old cleaver buried in his forehead, just as I found my dad's and his wife. And, just as I did then, I got to work. I lined a knapsack with butcher paper, filled it with his head and hands and several bricks from the alley. The rest I carved up and placed into several garbage bags. The trash man won't think twice about hauling away meat from here. It's nothing new for them. By the time people miss Mr. Wilson, the bags will be long gone. I have no idea how the cleaver found its way into my hand. It's been locked in a drawer for at least five years. However, it did. It won't find its way back. I loaded it into the sack with everything else. I made the drive down to Shorter Road and parked in front of it, just off the road. I left my lights on so I could see what I was doing. I had no interest in drawing out the work, even for secrecy's sake. I stood in front of the covered bridge for quite some time, trying to steel myself before beginning my grim task. As before, I cut the hole in the ice and deposited my cursed cargo into the lake reuniting Mr. Wilson with his wife. And, now, with my confession complete, I will leave this journal behind. God have mercy on my soul.
0: No further record exists for Donald Strong. Wherever he went and whatever happened to him remains a mystery, as did what happened to Mr. Wilson. The mysterious disappearances that took place that February night were investigated, and it was assumed that they were connected. However, it was popularly believed that whatever happened to Mr. Wilson also happened to Donald Strong. The old butcher shop stood abandoned for years. Mr. Wilson's family fought over his holdings, and by the time they reached an agreement, that building had been condemned. And, as happens to many small towns in the Baby Boomer era, it slowly disappeared as its residents found their way to larger cities. It was only after the discovery of the journal in cleaver a few months ago that these mysteries were solved, leaving only one remaining question. Who
1: brought the cleaver back to Donald Strong's butcher shop?